This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. Open your Bibles with me today. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, a number of scriptures. I want you to keep your Bible open. You don't have to turn to all the other scriptures, but I'd like you to have your Bibles. I'd like you to have a pen ready because I believe that you'll have to write in your Bible today. Uh, I know that's sacrilege to some of you. If you have a Bible that you can't write in, put it on the shelf and get one that you can. Okay, because we're studying the Bible today. And so we're going to be looking in the book of Romans, the eighth chapter. The title of my message today is, How to Maintain Hope in a Hopeless Environment. How to Maintain Hope in a Hopeless Environment. And we're going to be looking at the book of Romans, but particularly we're going to start with the book, uh, uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse 32. Romans 8 and verse 32. And the scripture says, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Now, there are some words and some words from the word of God that penetrate so deeply into our souls that they can change the way you think about everything. They can change things. They, they can, this is a change that is not only pr- practical, but it's hope-giving. It's life-altering. It's something that's full of hope. These words that I've just spoken were words that I remember some 40 years ago, more than 40 years ago, reading them for the first time. He who spared not his own son, but gave him up, how will he not freely give us all things? It struck my soul so much. You see, God will always provide his people with a solid foundation to stand on. His word. His word. See, the Bible is for us to stand on when all around you, your world or the world is shaking. When everything's falling apart, God says, wait a minute, I have a firm foundation that will not be shaken. And that's the word of God. I remember being shaken as a young man, but this word became an anchor for me. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not graciously also with him give us all things? Give us all things. This passage of scripture is a summary of the issues that the Apostle Paul is addressing to the Corinthian church in the first eight chapters, or the Roman church, the first eight chapters of his letters to the Romans. He's speaking to the Roman church, and for eight chapters he's been speaking, and then he summarizes it right here. And one of our great scholars today, John Piper, he says it this way. He says he calls this the logic of heaven. Here's how he said it. He says, of all the places in the Bible that provide a solid place to stand, this promise has been my foundation stone more than any other. Now, that's pretty powerful from coming from one of our leading theologians in the body of Christ today. You see, 
By the way, this kind of logic has a technical name. Uh, now, you may not know the name of the logic, but you definitely know how to use it. You can call it an argument or a logic, and it's called the logic from the greater to the lesser. And the, the technical name for it is an a fortiori, or an a fortiori, uh, fortiori, a fortiori, it's Latin, which means from the stronger, from the stronger. Now the idea is this, if you've exerted a certain amount of strength to accomplish something that's really hard to do, then surely you can exert your strength to accomplish something that's easier or lesser to do. Does that make sense? Let me give you an example. Uh, that's called a, uh, uh, an a fortiori argument. And it can be used in a number of ways. So an example is, you can use it this way. If Britain can't afford a space program, then neither can Zimbabwe. <laughs> see, see if, if, if Britain, who has a much stronger economy, a much more well-developed nation than we are, can't afford a space program, then why would we think we could? Although, I wouldn't put it past us to try. <laughs> we need bullet trains. John Piper gives this example. He says, suppose you say to your child, please run next door and ask Mr. Smith if we can borrow his pliers. But your child says, but what if Mr. Smith doesn't want us to borrow his pliers? How can you persuade your child that Mr. Smith will surely loan you his pliers? Well, the way you do that is by using an a fortiori argument. And a fortiori argument would be this. It goes like this. You would say to your child, well, listen, yesterday Mr. Smith was happy to let us borrow his car all day long. So therefore, if he was happy to let us borrow his car, he'll probably be willing to let us borrow the pliers. Do you see what I'm saying? It's a picture of if something strong has been done, then it's easy to ask for something much smaller, much, much less. Is, do you follow what I'm saying? And it's easy to believe that. I mean, even children can grasp, grasp these a fortiori type of arguments. You see, loaning the car is a greater sacrifice than loaning his pliers. Therefore, it was harder to loan the car than it was to loan the pliers. If he was inclined to do the harder thing, then he will be willing to do the easier thing. And so that's the way we use a fortiori arguments. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is doing in the book of Romans here. He is saying, if God did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, that's the harder thing, then he most certainly will give all things with him. There's nothing that he'll withhold with him. Does that make sense? So, Because that's the easier thing. Now, I, 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 I know that you say, oh, I get it, I get it. But I, I want you to let this logic sink down into your mind today and into your heart. See, I'm sure that you've read this scripture many, many times. But this morning... Can we just allow the Holy Spirit to minister his word 
and the intent of his word to your heart. Because in tough times, there's times that we really sometimes don't believe the Bible. We don't really believe that God will do all things for us. So let me tackle the first part of the scripture. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Wow. Why did Jesus have to be given up for us all? Have you ever thought about that? Why did Jesus have to be given up for us all? Well, it's because God had a problem. When Adam and Eve rebelled against him, committed high treason against him, succumbed to the temptation of the devil, gave up their place of rulership on the earth, and aligned themselves with God's adversary. Not only did God have a problem, but mankind had a problem. Because of sin, mankind was separated from God. Not just Adam and Eve, all of mankind. See, there was a huge obstacle that kept us from God. And that obstacle is the same obstacle that keeps you from God today. Your sin, our sin. Our sin keeps us from God. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. How you got there. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. How, how many of you know that, let, 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 me, let me ask you a question. How many of you get a wage, you get a salary? Anybody get a salary? You work and you get a salary at the end of the month. And the rest of you? There's three people that get salaries. How do you, oh, the rest of you are informal traders. Okay, I get it. Okay. But let, let's, let's think about this. If you get a wage, if you get a salary, and you've worked all month long, at the end of the month, do you want somebody else to collect your wage for you? Huh? Yeah, that's the problem with wages. Nobody else can collect your wages for you. And the wages of sin have to be collected by you. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Another reason that for Jesus not being spared, not only is sin, but that's an obstacle, but also the next obstacle is the wrath of God. Now, God has a right to be wrathful towards us in our sinful guilt. The Bible says that he cannot bear sin. He is sinless. He is perfect. We are guilty as charged. But if this is true, then what hope? do we have of eternal life? What hope do we ever have of happiness? You see, the scriptures leave no doubt that we are under God's wrath. In fact, Ephesians 2 and verse 3 says this, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, 
and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. We grew up as the children of wrath. We were under the wrath of God. We were under the judgment of God. Sin has wages, and the wages of sin is death. Those are pretty big obstacles, don't you think? Tap your neighbor's say, I think those are pretty big obstacles. Those obstacles have come between us and our relationship with God. And that relationship is one that was supposed to lead us to eternal life and happiness. But believe it or not, there's even a bigger obstacle. One that will be much harder to overcome. And that's the one that the Apostle Paul is pointing to. This obstacle is God's infinite love and the honor that he has towards his son, Jesus Christ. You see, we have to, oper- we have to, we have to comprehend this obstacle. Try to comprehend it with me this morning. Here we see in the first half of Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Man, I I want you to feel some tension in here. The Apostle Paul was creating tension when he wrote this between the phrase, his own son, and the phrase, he didn't spare him. The purpose of this is to make it sound, and it does, and it is, like it's the hardest thing that was ever done. God sacrificing his own son, his only begotten son. You know, I grew up, and when I was a young preacher, I used to milk a story. I used to milk it for all it was worth. I don't know if it's a true story or not, but it could be. But even if it's not, you can't mistake the truth in the story. I was told about a young father with his young son. And the father was back in the day in charge of raising and lowering a drawbridge for a train trestle. One day the father decided to take his son with him to work. Little boy was all over the place, like little boys are. Just Loved the whole idea of trains and the drawbridge would go up and a big ship would go under and the drawbridge would go down and he'd run up with dad and the levers and it was just, the boy couldn't contain himself. Anyway, the father became occupied and it was quite a busy thoroughfare and lots of ships and lots of sailboats and lots of things for the drawbridge to be raised and lowered. And as he saw a ship passing under, he noticed the train was coming. And instead of flipping the switch that would have had to stop the train, he realized that this is a pretty routine thing. He's done it many times before. It wouldn't take much just to allow the train not to have to be stopped. Let it come through. He'll have the drawbridge down in plenty of time. So as soon as the ship passed the clear spot, he moves the levers forward. And as he does, the big cogs and the big spindles and the the things that lower the drawbridge begin to move 
and he hears a blood-curdling scream. He pulls back and he, he looks down into the gears and there his little boy is caught in the gears. The train is hurtling towards the drawbridge that is up. And the father is caught in a dilemma. The train is past the place of no return. His son is caught in the gears. And with tears in his eyes, the father has one choice. And he pushes the gears forward. And the drawbridge lowers. And his son is crushed and killed in the gears. And the people, unbeknowing what had happened, pass by and they are waving at the man that controls the drawbridge that they pass through, not knowing the price that had been paid for their salvation. What price was that for the father? What price did our father pay for all mankind that he gave his only son, not only to die on the cross, but to bear all of mankind's sin on his body, to pay the penalty of sin that you and I could be free. That's the picture that's being painted here. That's the story that the Apostle Paul is telling. Apostle Paul's saying that there are no others like his son, the son of God. And that this son is infinitely precious to the father. Throughout the New Testament, there are references to God's love for his only begotten son. In Matthew, the third chapter, he says, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased Remember when he was baptized, God spoke. He said, this is my beloved, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Matthew 17, he says, while he yet spoke, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye him. That's on the Mount of Transfigurations. God has to shut up Peter, James, and John and say, listen to my son. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Colossians 1 verse 18, the Bible says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. One version says of his son that he loves. He took us and translated us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Into the kingdom of the son he loves. You see, Jesus himself talked about the love of the father and son. Remember the parable he told about the tenants? The master sends his servants to the tenants and they beat him and they, and they beat the servants and they send them away humiliated. He sends more servants and they beat the servants and they send them away humiliated. 
and these wicked uh, tenants disrespect the servants of the master. Then a master, the master amazingly decides to send his only son, his own son, to try one more time to collect what was rightly his. And Jesus describes this picture of God with these words. He had still one other, a beloved son. Isn't that the picture of God working with mankind? He sent prophets. He sent men of God throughout the ages. And finally, and they were rejected. Mankind rejected God. But finally, God says, no, I'm going to send one other, my beloved son. You see, one son is all that God the Father had. And he loved him infinitely. So the point of Romans 8.32 is that this love of God, this love that God is trying to show you and I, And this love that he had for his one and only son was like a massive Mount Kenya. It's an obstacle standing between God and our salvation. Here was an obstacle that is almost insurmountable. God loves this one son so much. Could God? Would God overcome his cherishing, admiring, treasuring, white, hot, infinite, affectionate bond with his son? And would he hand him over to be lied about and betrayed and denied and abandoned and mocked, flogged and beaten and spat upon and nailed to a cross and pierced with a sword like an animal being butchered and hung on a tree? Would he do that? Would he really do that? If he would, then we could know with full certainty that whatever goal he was pursuing on the other side of that obstacle could never fail. If he was willing to do the big thing, the biggest thing, the eighth fittori argument would mean that anything else, there could be no greater obstacle. So whatever he was pursuing is as good as done. You see, God himself handed over his son. Nothing greater and nothing harder has ever happened or ever will. You know, the unthinkable reality that Romans 8.32 affirms is this. That God did it. He did it. He handed him over. God did not spare his son. I know some of you are good Bible students. You say, but didn't Judas hand him over? Yes. Didn't Pilate hand him over? Yes. Didn't Herod 
And the mobs cry out, crucify him, crucify him, yes. And worst of all, Acts, 27, Acts 4, 27 and 28 would indicate that you and I handed him over through our sinful lives. 1 Corinthians says it this way. In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 3, it says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Galatians 1.4 says, Who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present world according to the will of God our Father. And of course, the famous scripture, 1 Peter 2.24 says, Who his own self bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. I think most surprisingly, didn't Jesus himself hand himself over? Think about it. John 10, 17 says, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. And John 19, 30 says, When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar while he's hanging on the cross, he said, It is finished. And he bowed, and he bowed his head, and he gave up the ghost. Jesus willingly died for you and me. God the Father planned it. The answer to all the questions is yes, yes, yes. And yet God had planned it. Romans 3, 8, 32 says, you know, that, and we see here Paul, he pushes through all the agents that caused Jesus to die. You and me, our sins, Pilate, Judas, even Jesus himself. All these instruments of death, he pushes through and he says the most unthinkable thing. In and behind and beneath and through all these human agents, God was handing his son over to death. Acts 2.32 says it this way. And Jesus was delivered up according to the Definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Let me tell you something. From the foundation of the world, the Bible says, God had a plan. Before you and I were even a twinkle in our parents' eye, God had a plan. God knew exactly what he was doing. God knew exactly how to redeem mankind and was willing to do it. You see, in Judas and Pilate and Herod and in the crowds that condemned Christ, the Gentile soldiers that pierced him through and our own sins, and even in Jesus' lamb-like submission, God himself handed over his son. Nothing greater or harder has ever happened or ever will. So therefore, in Paul's a fortiori argument, God has done the hardest thing 
to give us eternal life and happiness. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. So what does that guarantee? Well, Paul puts it in the form of a kind of a rhetorical question. You know what a rhetorical question is, don't you? Yeah, it's a, it, it, it means it's a question that he expects us to immediately and correctly answer. He says, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? How will he not with him, also with him, graciously give us all things? You see, Paul expects you and I to turn this into a strong certain confession, a strong statement. And that means we should be saying, yes, he will most certainly give graciously all things to us through him. Since God didn't spare his own son but gave him up for us all, therefore he will most certainly give us all things. All things. See, some of us don't think God wants to give us all things. What else is there to withhold? He gave the best. He gave the, he gave the most. What is, what, everything else pales in insignificance to what he's already done. Can you follow what I'm saying? No, don't, don't get me wrong. This isn't a promise of a trouble-free life. Look at your Bibles. Come on, get your Bibles open. Romans chapter 8. In Romans 8, verse 36, four verses later, look what he says. For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep being led to the slaughter. Yes, he will give us all things. That means that all things that we need to do his will, all things that we need to glorify him, all things that we need to move from being predestined to called to justified to glorified. Look at Romans 8, 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. God has you on a process. He says, I'll withhold nothing till I bring you to glorification. I'll withhold nothing till I bring you into everything I designed for you. Everything I hope for you. Everything that you need. Everything that you so desire to be. This is my plan for you. This is my plan for mankind. So since God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. What can we expect? Did you have your Bibles open? Look at this. Romans 8, 28 through 39. Let's read it. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, he also called. And whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall we not? With him also, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. 
Who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God and also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present or things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I don't know about you, I can't help but feel something when I read this passage of Scripture of what God did for me. Verse 28, all things work together for good. Verse 29, we will be conformed to the image of God. We will be glorified in verse 30. No one can successfully be against us in verse 31. No charge can stick against us in verse 33. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ in thirst verse 35, whether it be tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, or nakedness. Sword, it doesn't matter. We are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. Verses 38 and 39, neither death, nor life, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Folks, this logic of heaven teaches us that the Father's not sparing his only son secures every promise that I've ever trusted in and that, I'll ever, that I ever will trust in. If he won't spare his son, I can have every other promise. If he promised his son and he kept this one, if he's done the big thing, surely he's going to do the little thing. See, all of our hope hangs on God's promises. And all of the promises, all things, are guaranteed by the logic of Romans chapter 8 and verse 32. In 2 Corinthians, the first chapter, the 20th verse, the Apostle Paul said this. He said, for all of the promises of God are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God by us. All of the promises of God, how, how can we make such a statement? Because he did the big thing. It's no big deal to do the little thing. It's no big deal. It's no big deal. He gave you the car. What's a pair of pliers? He gave you his only begotten son. What is it to give you healing? What is it to give you wealth? What is it to give you all the things that you need? All the things you desire? All the things he's planned for you? The promises of God are yes. And we add our amen because the father did not spare his son. He delivered his son unto death so that all things, all things, everybody say all things. All of his promises would be absolutely certain to those who trust in him. Whew. I don't know. This means that we can confidently fight 
all of the battles of life with the promises of God. Battles against fear, battles against lust, battles against greed and pride and anger, battles for courage and battles for purity and battles for contentment and humility and battles for peace and battles for love. All these battles we can fight successfully, all of them by the word of God, all of them by the promises of God because God made a promise that he kept in Christ Jesus and surely he'll give us all things. Behind every one of those promises is the, and every one of those battles is the logic of heaven. I did not spare my own son. Therefore I promise that you cannot fail. My promise to you is something that cannot fail. I will help you, God says. Go, do what I've called you to do. Trust me, believe in me. If I've done the big thing, don't you believe I can do the little thing? Tonight or today, the question I had was, how do we live with hope in a hopeless situation? Well, let me tell you, our hope has to be built on something much stronger than some flimsy promise. The words of a politician or the ideas of some NGO or some foreign government. There is a God who not only did not withhold his only son, but has made provision for everything for you and I. My hope is built in nothing less than Jesus Christ and righteousness. My hope is built in nothing less than God made a promise. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would have eternal life, life eternal. What a promise. Everybody say, a furatory. Say it again, a furatory. If he did the big thing, how hard is it for him to do the little thing? How hard is it? If he gave his only son, hard is it for him to do the rest? Can you trust him today? Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.